It is Friday, April 15. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And I'm Charlie Clawson. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm terrible at introducing this show. Yeah, you really are. Like, did you have it written down in front of you this time? No, I um, panicked at the last second when we were about to start <laughs> and I started shuffling. I realised that I had today's newspapers under my computer because we're on Skype today. Yeah. And I, I, I thought I had the... So I was like, oh, the date will be on the newspaper. So I scrambled to find the newspapers, but we've already technically started. So I think I can do all this before we start the <laughs> podcast, but I can't because when I try to grab the newspaper, it's suddenly like that trick when a magician like pulls yeah, the, the tablecloth table out and leaves everything. Except that I did not leave everything. My computer just started flying off this table. And I was like, oh my God. And then Michael's like, Will, you've just gone out of shot. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm the world's clumsiest idiot who does not know what date it is. Yeah, you're like the world's worst astronaut. We're about to launch an Apollo 15. And all of a sudden, you're at the last minute, you're like, oh, maybe I should just check if uh, the thrusters are turned on. It's like, Will, we've lost video contact. Well, this is even better. I logged on to the Skype like today and I was like, you know, hello, here I am. And then I realized I did not have my microphone or my recorder. <laughs> I, was, I, I was like, I was here like, I was like, do I normally both have both my hands free? No. So for all our Patreon subscribers, this is the level of professionalism you can expect from our podcasts. Yeah, no, I really appreciate having you all on board. It's been a tough week. I, no wonder that I am so sad and I am so clumsy because, you know, my heart has been broken, Charlie, by football. Once again, once again, this game I give so much love to has taken from me. Yeah, I think I, I, you were very uh, low this week. Like I saw you, you kind of took a break from Twitter. You're kind of hard to contact. And then I saw you put something up about your heart being broken. I think maybe you've just jumped the gun a little bit like yeah look it's tragic i agree the whole football community was shattered by what happened to bob murphy but you just lost to the reigning premiers and you have lots of defenders you can bring into this side the season is by no means over is it just the bob thing or do you think it's a vital cog that's now missing from the bulldogs no i think it's the bob thing we just love him so much and if we're going to win it it, it should be him winning it. It's like he's our Croft in that moment, except you'll say something, you know, much more eloquent than that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, he, he won't quote a Shannon Knoll lyric. He'll actually, you know, he'll, 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 he'll solve world peace, like, while he holds the cup up. That's Bob Murphy. Everybody loves him, mate. This week, now, it went too far, though, I will say that, because this week people were coming up to me like I'd lost a member of my family. Like, you've recently actually been through that, but I'm sure, like, people were coming up to me in the same way. Like, even my dad, like, said at lunch the other day, he's like, oh, make sure if you talk to Bob, we're all thinking of him. I'm like... <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Like, I watched, uh, I think it was Talking Footy or, or, or 360, and they did, it's where they do the montage of the clips from the different sort of commentators, and it was all around Bob doing his knee. And the horror and kind of sadness expressed by... Like football commentators from all sides of football on all different mediums. Like, I think, 
I mean, I love Bob Murphy, but you, it takes an event like that before you go, oh, holy shit, like this guy is actually one of the kind of national treasures of the game. I mean, what I've always liked about Bob is, obviously he's an amazing footballer to watch, just so silky smooth and stuff. But it's the fact that he has introduced this other side to football, this kind of like indie cred in a way, like, you know, the music he's into, the pop culture references, the way he doesn't seem to take it seriously, but he really respects his position as a leader at the club. Like, he's actually a very rare personality in the kind of overly media-controlled nature of AFL these days. I mean, he speaks so well and he speaks in a way about the game that reminds us that the game can be about poetry that like a wiry kid with that sort of body like he's he's our generation's Robbie Flower yeah he's the kind of guy who can write a column about football in which he never mentions football once like that's the kind of commentary he has on the game and then you're like oh now I love football more (laughs) how did you do that without even mentioning football (laughs) yeah I mean he's I, I do remember in 2011, so we were one year out of our premiership window, uh, Lenny Hayes did his knee, and that was, like Bob, his second knee reconstruction. And he was a bit younger. I think he was 30 or maybe 31. And everyone was like, oh, you know, should he retire or can he come back? He went, he did the full, the non-Lars surgery, and then came back and two years later, won our best and fairest, you know, at the age of 33. So... I mean, I know Bob's a bit older, but Lenny Hayes was a bash and crash inside midfielder. He's much more of the outside mid, and he has that body which hasn't changed that much. It's not like he's racked up kind of injuries over the years or, you know, he's gone up and down with his weight. He's always remained pretty consistent. If anyone could come back at that age, I reckon he's a good shot. Well, Charlie, you know what he has, and we love this. He's got footy smarts. Yeah. And if you've got footy smarts, then... You, you may, maybe when you lose some of your speed and whatever, it's not like he's really playing on anyone quite as much these days. You can be that sort of general in the backfield. Mm. Oh, no. And that's the thing, because everyone was like, you could see it on his face. Never could you see more in a moment when he heard it pop. You could see on his face that he knew exactly what had happened. And like someone's life flashing before their eyes. Mm. He had that sort of thing of... Because he never thought he'd get back to the idea that they could be a contender for a premiership. And then suddenly, magically... They were back and he was in charge and he was captain of all Australian team yeah. and he was in this resurgence in his own personal career yeah. and it was a it was a beautiful poetic journey and then it, that fucking happened yeah uh, Brad Johnson came out and said uh, he remembers in two thousand and three when Chris Grant did his knee and that was like yeah. I mean, Chris Grant was as loved a figure I imagine at the Western Bulldogs as Bob Murphy. But Brad was saying it actually was a way to bring the group together and Chris still was able to exert his gun to lead it. Do you remember that period? Yeah. So um, I remember that uh, because it did really take... Despite what Brad Johnson said, it still took the air out of them a lot. But he was much harder to replace. You know, I mean, we didn't have Easton Wood playing last week, who easily steps into that role. We just got Suckling from Hawthorne, who we didn't have last year. We've got Adams down the back. I mean, I don't think the loss of Rob Murphy, the player, is something that we can't cover. And every team before the finals is going to have a major injury at some stage, right? That's how it works. Um, But I do think that we should just, if we are going to get close to the grand final, we rebuild Bob Murphy... (laughs) And we just t- take him out there on grand final day and just drag him around weekend at Bernie style. 100%. We get Jake, we get Johannesson and Easton Wood on one arm, each other arm, and they just drag him around the field. <laughs> um, I thought in light of what happened, uh, with Bob Murphy, we could take a look at a list that the Herald Sun did of the most loved players in the AFL. Um, which okay. I, which I thought was 
kind of interesting because there's some notable omissions. But um, the first one they mention is Lenny Hayes. Now, I actually own an I Love Lenny t-shirt, which was a limited edition uh-huh. release at St Kilda Dig when he announced his retirement. Um, I think people, well, why I love Lenny Hayes was just the fact that he played like a kamikaze. Like you knew when he was going to go into a contest, he would just go head first, didn't care what happened. I think that's, and the fact that he did that without being like an asshole about it, like he seemed just 100% committed to the ball. Yeah, everyone loves Lenny Hayes. Like I love how even St Kilda are happy that Lenny Hayes has gone back to GWS because he's from New South Wales. And everyone's like, oh, Lenny should get to go back to New South Wales. Yeah. He's just like one of those... People that everybody loves. Is, do you reckon there's anyone who just is like fucking Lenny Hayes? Oh, I'm sure. Fuck, I hate Lenny Hayes. If you've ever, if you've ever been to Big Footy, <laughs> you'll read that all the time. Like, really? I'm sure there's, you, pe- there's people, yeah. There's people who hate everyone, like any, the most beloved players. Like, I'm sure there's someone out there who hates Bob Murphy. I mean, I wouldn't believe it. They probably wouldn't raise their head this week, but I'm sure there's someone out there who's like, soft, gets soft touches, not hard at it. No, I get why you would hate Bob Murphy. You could be like, I don't like the way he writes. He's like a bit too weird for me, that sort of thing. But yeah. Lenny Hayes, what would you hate Lenny Hayes What based on? What would, what would yeah. even be the... If you had to bully or hate Lenny Hayes, what would be the first thing you picked? Uh, you would say that he's not vocal enough. He's not a... He's not a it doesn't, doesn't have the leadership capabilities vocally. Like, he doesn't talk a good talk. He's just... He plays, he demonstrates by his actions. See, even in trying to make him sound bad, I actually made him sound better. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem, so what you're saying is that he leads with actions rather than with words? Yeah. Okay, that, yeah, okay. Boo! Boo you, Lenny <laughs> The next on the list is, uh, is Luke Hodge, who, as yeah. we predicted, as uh, predicted. after the first episode, is back after two weeks with a broken arm. <laughs> Yeah, broken arm. What the fuck is is going on there? Like, I mean, is he just that tough or can you come back from a broken arm? All right, Will, you broke your forearm. How many weeks are you taking off? Oh, okay. Firstly, um, a bit, uh, uh, broke, if I broke my forearm, I would take three months off and that's from stand-up comedy, not playing football. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... What's he doing, Luke Hodge? He doesn't even need to be playing now. They're awesome without him. Why doesn't he just have a rest for a while and get his arm right? Is it just because he's like Luke Hodge and he's just like, whatever. I died last week and I played like midweek netball. Yeah. I think Luke Hodge plays like Lenny Hayes, but it's the personality that comes with the way he plays. It's the fact that he seems like the kind of bloke you'd like to hang out with. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> The way you said definitely then makes me think that you want to hang out with him for a different reason than I'd like to hang out with him. Right, but there's this air of that about him, which may or may not be true, but there's just a little bit of danger about him. And you can tell why he's a great leader of men, because Luke Hodge is one of those guys that could convince me to make a lot of bad decisions. Like, you know, he'd have have some... It'd be fucking Tuesday night, and I'm not saying he's doing that, but I'm just saying... If it was like Tuesday night and he's like, you know what? Let's get some guns and a fast car and then see what, and then see what happens. I'd be like, you know what, Hodgie? All right, let's have a crack at it. Would you say he's a bad boy? Yeah, I reckon a little bit. Cause he looks still like a guy who, if someone needs a punch behind the play, he'll punch him behind the play. And he, you know, he drank and drove and shit like that. So if he's a bad boy, like, are we talking Dylan from 90210? Are we talking Angel from Buffy? Like, give me a, give me a simile for what kind of bad boy he is. Ah, uh, yeah, I reckon he's, 
Dylan 90210 bad boy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he drives around in a Porsche. Like he can he he can have sex with any woman he wants to have sex with, and he's yeah. like like everyone's like, oh, he's a heart of gold, but like there's still like a dark side to him, you know. Next on the list was uh, a player that we brought up many times in our oh. very short history. What? And by the way, um, uh, Sam Mitchell is S- Steve Sanders. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, the next player on the list, uh, on the list was Matthew Richardson. And I think we've actually talked already about... We basically said that Richo is why people love Richmond. I mean, he was Richmond personified. Brilliant and infuriating at the same time. And his name was Richo, and he played for Richmond. I think that's something that people didn't even concentrate on enough, that the greatest Richmond player was called Richo. That's like the best Bulldogs player being called Footscray. I was listening to uh, 3AW's uh, footy rap on Sunday, and Matthew Richardson, uh, they had Alan Richardson on the phone, and Matthew oh. Richardson was one of the guys asking questions. And then Matt, I, I just, I kept the mental note every time they said, Richo, it's Richo. Uh, good game yesterday. <laughs> Thanks, Richo. Well, uh, Richo, have you got any questions for Richo? <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> no tempering, no trying to separate them. They just both became Richo. Richo, Richo. It was like that Monty Python sketch. Uh, Bruce, have you met Bruce? This is Bruce. <laughs> well, Richo is one of those nicknames that it's almost impossible not to use. Like, there are other nicknames that you stop using, like, in an yeah. interview situation. But for some reason, if your nickname is Richo, it's hard not to call you Richo. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, even Graham Richardson was Richo, wasn't he? Richo. It's just yeah. one of those ones that you're like, you've got to say Richo. It's compulsory Richo. <laughs> Jonathan Brown. Uh, oh, yeah. I reckon... That's probably for similar reasons to Hodgie, right? Like the way he played, balanced with that knockabout personality, the kind of guy. I remember on our other podcast, Tofot, we were talking about like in a you know a post-apocalyptic situation, and you know which of our friends would lead us, you know, and uh, you said the person who would lead would be the person most like the personality of Jonathan Brown. Like right. he is a leader of men. He just has that balance of kind of physical strength, sense of humour. You know, he's got a little bit of a. He's got a. a you wouldn't say it's a, um, it's just got a simplistic kind of way of looking at things, which makes everything very black and white and easy to follow. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, he's, Jonathan Brown is essentially, if my dad could have built a perfect son, it would have been Jonathan Brown. Like, I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, parents don't get exactly what they want, but sometimes I think about that as like, what would your parents have ideally wanted in a child? My dad's ideal mm. kid would have been Jonathan Brown. It's one of the things about Jonathan Brown that, I mean, the way his career ended, I mean, it's a big talking point footy at the moment about concussions. But when you go over his history of injuries, like if I told you I'd been in a car accident, the list of injuries he's had over his career, you might be like, oh, okay, fine, that makes sense. Like it's unbelievable. Did you hear him when he was on um, our, uh, our, 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 uh, one of our sister podcasts, Junk Time? Uh, with Michael Chamberlain and Adam Rosenbachs, they interviewed Brownie when he was releasing his book, and he told them, because he has all these metal plates in his skull, that depending on the temperature, his skull will expand or contract. I mean, what the fuck is that? I mean, it's a bit weird when, like, you're like, hey, hey, Brownie's got a big head these days. Oh, yeah, that's only because of the temperature in this room, to be honest, mate. That's not his fault. Yeah, Paul Roos walks in and says, ah, Jesus Christ, another big-headed footballer. No, Roosie, he's actually got a big head. It's the heat. You know who's got to get one of those? Uh, Danaher, Joey Danaher's got to get some metal in his head. (laughs) 
He's got to get down to Brownie's robot head bloke and get some of that in his noggin. Yeah, that'd be great. Although the the the, the scope for expansion is massive with Joe. You can get it really big. <laughs> he could get uh, a spare head just for footy days. <laughs> now this next uh, on the list, I was surprised by because he's not one of my favourites. It's Dane Swan from Collingwood. Mm, mm. Do you think he's a player loved in the AFL? Uh, I reckon there's a lot of people, much like, remember when Ben Cousins got in his troubles, that there was a big, I'd love to party with Ben Cousins sort of thing? Footy bros. Right. Footy, footy bros, bros before footy hoes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> people who are like, the, the, when they see a picture of Dane Swan and Dustin Martin together on Instagram, people who are like, oh, fuck, I would have been loved to be there, mate. That would have been a great night. You know, people yeah. like Jake, Car- Jake Carlisle. You know... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's the weird thing, though, because if you put, like, Dane Swan alongside Bob Murphy, I mean, you couldn't get to... Oh. Are you all right? Your hotel's not on... Your hotel's not on fire, is it? They were making an announcement through my hotel thing, and it was like uh, basically saying, "Please don't be alarmed by these alarms that are about to happen, uh, because <laughs> because we're testing the fire system." But I panicked for a second because, um, oh, oh, hang on, here come the alarms. This is great. Don't cut this, Michael. This is fantastic. <laughs> no, this is, we're now going to remix. I don't know how many alarms there's going to be, but um, I fantastic. got back the. I got back the other day and my hotel had been on fire. They had to evacuate the whole hotel. So, so really, t- yeah, holy shit! That's the so, second time you've been evacuated because of a fire in the last twelve months. Yeah, it's true. Who's, what's the common denominator, Will? Oh, don't get me wrong. The first time I see like any hotel I'm staying in, I think, was that me? Did I leave something <laughs> burning somewhere? Uh, so, what do you feel about Dane Swan? Yeah, or do we I'm cover not- that with the bros, footy bros? Look. Yeah, I reckon footy bros. Footy bros, yeah. um, it's just not my thing. But all he needs is no. some Collingwood, Collingwood people to want to party with him because they're the biggest club anyway. Do you think he popularised the tattoo fad that sort of swept the AFL? He was one of the first sleeveys, wasn't he? Yeah, he has his own tattoo shop, I think. Does he? Yeah. Tattoo shop, hey? Legitimate business? <laughs> Dude, it seemed weird. I don't know if you heard this, but when we said tattoo shop, I swear I heard a motorbike take off. Did you hear <laughs> yeah, that? That was that, that was that was my apartment. That's a, it's like, a thoroughfare for the Eastern Suburbs Harley riders. <laughs> I was like, are we doing? I was like, that's a good drop-in sound effect when we're talking about <laughs> Dane Swan's tattoo shop, and then you've got a motorbike taking off. Like, I'm gonna get out of here. They're onto us. Yeah. No, I think it's because we're turning into a, a, a breakfast show. Mike Hal has just got the wacky sound effects ready to go. Um, Dane Swan's tattoo shop. This is why everyone's like, oh, do you reckon Dane Swan will play again next year? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon he will because otherwise he owns a tattoo shop for the next 50 years. Like, yeah. when else in... The- when else in Dane Swan's career is he ever going to be paid like you know the amount of money he gets paid to run around a football field and just enjoy himself? Of course he'll play another year. Well, how much does a tattoo shop turn over? It must be all right. You see people getting tattoos all the time. I mean, he basically has like 40 customers lined up at his old club when he retires. Yeah, but eventually they run out of skin. So like... And they'll want freebies. Yeah, they're, they're AFL footballers, mate. They'll all want fucking freebies. You know what it's yeah, like. That's true. 
No, um, like, how much money can you do in a tattoo shop a year? Not like $800,000 a year or whatever he's on at Collingwood. No, but I'm sure he'd have other vested interests. Oh, yeah. What are you saying? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Uh, Glenn Archer, the shin boner of the century. That's an easy one to understand. Would you say he's, again, I think, I don't know I ever loved Glenn Archer. I I was scared of him. He was like the high school (laughs) tough guy. It's like, I respect him. I don't know if I like him. Like, uh, and that's nothing to do with his personality. I just mean as a player. He, cause he was part of that fucking, uh, North Melbourne. I don't know if you'd call it a, a, a dynasty, but he, or dynasty, he was, he used to terrorize the St. Kilda forward line back in the day. Like, I, he, Lenny Hayes' first game, there's very famous footage of Glen Archer ironing him up. He's like a 19 year old, skinny 19 year old on the boundary line gets rid of a handball and Glen Archer poleaxes him. It's like, that's the Glen Archer I remember. Yeah, well, that, I was saying the other day, somebody said to me, oh, yeah, the Bulldogs are my um, f- second favourite team. And I said, yeah, because we've never done anything against your club that you mm. feel mad about. That's why we haven't beaten you in anything major. So if you have memories of someone being good against you, but I think Glen Archer was one of those players that played in that old-fashioned, courageous spirit. Here we go. This is the second alarm. This guy's just trying to get on the podcast. I mean, that's twice. Like, and I, anyway, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> uh, next, next on the list is a guy I know you love, Jimmy Bartell. JB. Well, he's Hodgy. Hodge, he's Geelong's Hodgy. Really? Is he? He's not. Yeah. He doesn't have that kind of swagger of Hodgy. He's, he's a bit more shy, oh, isn't he? Mate, he would do the that. Nah, I reckon they're cut from the same cloth. They're both blokes right. you'd love to have next to you in a fight or at a nightclub. Like, you know, yeah. they're just, they're leaders of men. They're unofficial leaders. In the way that when Sam Mitchell was the leader of Hawthorne, everyone was like, yeah, but Hodgie's the, the real leader. I think Jimmy Bartel yeah. could have easily captained Geelong a lot of the time, but he was just a leader anyway. That stuff he yeah. did on um, the domestic violence in his family and writing so mm. honestly and openly about that stuff, I just think he's become... Like, he's got a bit of the Robert Murphys about him as well, where he's become totally. a bit more than a spokesman about football. He's been a spokesman about what it's like to be a man. That's something I've actually noticed uh, in the media, or especially the, when uh, players are talking to the media in the last five or six years, is a, a much greater willingness now. I've read it with like Bob Murphy. I've read it with Jimmy Bartell, Nick Revolt, where they're all willing to say, look, you know, football is important, but... It's not the most important thing in life. You know, after the Phil Walsh thing, that was, you know, the mantra that was coming out, which was, it's really cool because I think there was a period, at least when I was way into it, where football was king and everything else was second. But now there seems to be more of a balance towards kind of, hey, you've got to have a balanced life. You know, then these players aren't kind of robots. We need to be aware of player welfare, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's interesting you say that because the Bob Murphy thing has made me think about that a lot this week because... At the end of the day, it's a game of football and he hurt his leg. And sometimes when you play a game of football, you hurt your leg. And I sent him like a message uh, during the week and, you know, I didn't expect him to get back to me, but I, he was very nice and got back to me. And we had a little chat about, you know, what had happened and whatever. And that's just part of it. And then Robbo on AFL 360 on Wednesday night has come on and in typical Robbo style, has gone, well, you know, it's Wednesday. We've got to move on and, uh, you know... That, there was a baby murdered today. So, you know, uh, and, and I was like, 
I mean, I we all get the point you're trying to make, Robbo, and I think you're actually making a decent enough point, but you probably could have come up with like a dozen other examples that would have easily made that point without going straight to baby murder. Why have you brought up, like the look on Jared Wheatley's face, who is such a professional that nothing should stun him, but the look when he's like, hey, Robbo, did you just bring up baby murdering? Like at the top of the show? You couldn't think of one other world example that was better than, hey, oh, well, at least a baby didn't get murdered. Why are you even <laughs> sucking about it? He hurt his knee. A baby didn't get murdered by his knee. <laughs> All right, Robbo, calm uh, down. Uh, next on the list is a player that everyone loves, Cyril Rioli. Oh, yeah. Well, it's hard not to love now, Cyril. Now, Cyril Rioli is like the Lenny Hayes, Jonathan Brown, Luke Hodge thing but the opposite kind of player where you love their crash and bash, you know, just like headfirst into a pack. What you love about Cyril is just the skills. Like it's the kind of superhuman one, one player in a generation stuff that he can do. Like it, to me, he typifies that footy cliche X factor. Like you just don't want your defender to be one out with Cyril because he's either going to jump on his head or he's going to fucking like beat him to the ball. Or even if your player gets the ball, he's going to run him down. <laughs> like he's just that amazing to watch. Just an excitement machine. I mean, I think in the finals last year, that was the best example of, you know, uh, West Coast had a pretty good zone and they set up pretty well. But Cyril, you need players like Cyril who can just break that zone. Players who can just do something that no one knows how to predict like that's that Hawthorne model a bit in general it's like I, when you I was watching them on the weekend obviously and they never line up the same in the middle like every single time they go through that everyone's standing at a different spot and they're all different players and so even right. if you and that's why they fucked up like those teams in the finals last year because everybody's like well you go to so-and-so and then you go and stand where they were last time and they're fucked off to somewhere else and you're like what is going on where is everyone? <laughs> I'd just love um, that moment from the 2012 grand final, the uh, Lewis Jetta Cyril uh, showdown on the wing. Like, the to me, that is just an all-time grand final highlight. Like, the two fastest players in the game, like, one out on the wing. Like, how fucking great was that moment? Like, even talking about it now, I'm getting fucking goosebumps. It's so great. But isn't that also the great thing about football, which is that on that day... Jetta made Rioli look ordinary, and yeah. yet now, and yet now, I mean, to be honest, like Rioli's going to be a much, you know, more beloved and well-remembered oh, yeah. player than Jetta. But yeah. it shows. It's, it's, show it's not like it was a, a traditional rivalry, you know. Of it was just a one-out instance where it's like, fucking hell, let's see these two super quick dudes have a foot race. Right, but what I mean about that is that's the great thing about the game is that in one of those moments, someone who is clearly not ever going to be remembered as the player that the other one was can still beat that player in that moment, which is great. Yeah. Um, Mark Rusciuto, Adelaide Crows. Another surprise entry for me. I've never really... I like him. I respect him. I, you know, I don't ever... I, I put him in that kind of Michael Voss, Nathan Buckley category, which is like, oh, yeah, they were just that awesome player, but he didn't endear himself to me. Oh, mate, people love Rue. People do you love, love Rue? Yeah, I do love Rue. It's hard not to love Rue. I know what you mean. I don't think I love Rue the player. Like, I didn't warm to him. But, um, wow. When you meet him, he just could not be more Aussie. Could not yeah. be... Like, he's just one of those blokes blokes. 
and you and everyone loves him. Like everyone you ever talk to in football loves Mark Rashido, and he can't stop having kids. He's got like nineteen <laughs> bloody kids, and he like he's got all these pubs, and he owns yeah. South Australia. And when the Adelaide Crows needed fixing, they just went and got Rue, and he came in and did that. And when they needed a Triple M breakfast radio show, they just got Rue, and he does that. And he walks down the street in Adelaide, and people just leave him alone. Because he's Rue and he runs Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, no, I love him. Uh, Next on the list is Matthew Pavlich, which I think Mm. is, again, a sort of a bit of a 50-50. I love Matthew Pavlich personally. I think that, Mm. and it's that old cliche, if he'd been playing for like a Hawthorne or or Richmond or something, he'd be remembered as a much bigger player than he is. But he's a fucking gun. Like, you think about the player he is and all the positions he's played and how often he's the guy just to kick that clutch goal or take that mark. And he's he's a bit in that revolt category where it's like, we'll never get a flag and that seems a tragedy because he's that good a player. He's that good a player that he could have dragged a team to a grand final. I mean, to a grand final victory. But um, I love him. I can see too, though... One of the things that people dislike about him is what I love him. His arrogance, like he's got a real good strut. I remember there was a game against St Kilda when Ben McAvoy, who now plays for the Hawks, it was his first game, and he was a top 10 draft pick. But he's a skinny kid, and he was getting knocked around by Sanderlands or whatever, and they had the mics turned up, and Pavlich, after one of the rock contests, it's gone out of bounds, has gone up to Ben McAvoy and gone, that was putrid. You are, you're awful. You're really bad. And the umpire comes and says, okay, Matthew, give him five metres. And he's like, I'm just saying he's terrible. You're terrible. You're the worst footballer I've ever seen. It was so fantastic. Such a prick. But can back it up. Yeah, I um, he's a bit Warren Treadray, though, in that regard, I reckon, where people like didn't warm to him because they did. he did get off that kind of air of arrogance or whatever that people didn't like or understand but i, I yeah. like pav I, you know he's been a super player like the last on the list is tony modra which oh yeah i mean was he universally loved i can imagine like adelaide loved him i used to like watching his highlights but i don't know i don't know he created enough kind of affection in the way that like you know luke hodge or jonathan brown does oh no a different type he was definitely a more your um well, yeah, your highlights real, your glamour forward, yeah. you know. But I, but I think everybody loves watching a guy standing on another guy's shoulders taking marks. Yeah, and he was good looking too. Oh, mate! I mean, there must have been a period of time in Adelaide where, t- <laughs> yeah. where Tony Modra at the Rams. Game. I mean, the, I remember that he was one of the, there was one of those guys where sometimes he wouldn't turn up to training and whatever, and you'd be like, yeah. I mean, he's only got so much time, and there's a line of women around. <laughs> he's like, I remember seeing him back on whatever was the uh, Sunday morning footy show on Channel Seven back in the nineties, because he's quite a shy guy. I think he was like a farmer or a surfer he or was, something like yeah. that. But he didn't do a lot of kind of um, speaking to the media or anything. And uh, they had won this game, and they said, so, Tony, you know, um, uh, you were down at halftime. Uh, you know, what motivated you guys to come back? And he's like, well, the coach came out and said we had to get off our fucking – we had to get we had to get playing again. <laughs> you just heard, like, the entire fucking studio try and stifle a laugh. I mean, this was 1993 when you couldn't say fuck, but it was like, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> he was so nervous. He was so nervous he couldn't stop saying fuck. <laughs> Nowadays, we expect it. Uh so we thought, because uh, this was a, a, a late episode this week, we, we won't spend too much time wrapping up the results. Um, although there's one game in particular we should talk about. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, we'll just briefly go over uh, last week's results. Um, so first up, uh, Port did what they had to do against Essendon. 
Um, it was a 10-goal victory, yet no one was convinced, <laughs> which is sort of like, that's tough. Right, that's tough on Essendon when you have to have a 20-goal victory to like even <laughs> like feel like you've had a good day out. Yeah. Um, there wasn't anything particularly uh, uh, interesting about that game except for Joe Dennis Hur's head is still the same size. Um, head watch is now in full effect. Um, right, you know what they know should if... on the banner they should have one of those like you know, human cutout shapes in Joe Dennis head and they should see who can fit through the the shape <laughs> instead of a handball comp hole. It's just the Danaher head hole. Uh, <laughs> the Joe Danaher glory hole. <laughs> uh, on Saturday, uh, Richmond got absolutely towed up by Adelaide and alarm bells must be ringing at Tigerland. Uh, in, during the week, Dimmer came out and said that they have to take a step forward, a step backwards to take a step forward, which is probably not what you want to hear. He didn't actually say that. He said they had to take a little half step back to take two steps forward, which is actually a very different thing to a step back to take a step forward. Because if you take a step whoa, whoa, back... Whoa, 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 <laughs> slow down, egghead. We don't do math on this show. <laughs> but that's what I loved about the coverage of it, because everyone was like, he said we have to take a step back to take a step forward. And I was like, well, firstly, why would he say that? Because that means you're in the exact same place. If you take one step back <laughs> and one step forward, you are literally where you are already. That is a waste of steps. So don't take that. He said we'll take a half step back and then two steps forward and then a step to the left and then jump to the right and then we all do the time warp. <laughs> Again, we do the Richmond time warp when no one knows if they're good or not and they'll be shit for ages and they'll be good for a bit and then they'll may or may not make the finals. But it'll it'll just be Richmond, same old Richmond. You know what? They need to just play Deledio, whether he's on crutches or not, because they can't win without him. Just put him in the back pocket, like, oh, or do my Rob Murphy thing. Get two other players. Get him on someone's shoulders. Get sticky tape him to fucking Ivan Marek's shoulders and just, like, mm. send them out as, like, by themselves, neither of them are fit, but together they can be something greater than they are by themselves. That's a great idea. There should be the Siamese clause if right. you've got two injured players, you're allowed to tape them together to make one good player. One good player. I mean, that would add something to the game, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, up at the SCG, uh, Sydney, in a, in a fairly close game for most of it, but uh, Sydney just had too much firepower. Luke Parker, fucking hell, man. Like, I reckon could be the story of the year if he keeps playing like this. I mean, basically had a year off football, and now he's coming back to just say, hey... Do you remember how I was one of the most promising footballers in the country four years ago? Well, now I'm better than ever. That mark yeah. he took where he absolutely poleaxed Isaac Haney on the ground. To me, that was like, why is not more people talking about that as like a mark of the year contender? That was so fucking spectacular. Mate, Peter Parker is now only the second most impressive Parker. <laughs> like, I mean... And- oh, but hang on, you mean besides Georgie? Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, top three. <laughs> And we'll be doing our popular segment, Parker Watch, uh, in a couple more weeks and re-ranking them. What I noticed about that Sydney GWS game is that, because they're playing on a small ground, GWS, when they can't just fucking outrun teams, get into a bit of trouble, they're, they're actually a really good... They don't have a lot of that um, experienced kind of tall forward bailout option. They just rely on just running in numbers and getting past, but you couldn't do that on the SCG. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you know what, Buddy, here's a little statistical anomaly for you. Apparently, Buddy has had, for the first three games, the exact same stats. Really? Yeah. 
Like every was game, it, so every game, I think it's been like eighteen disposals, four goals. You know, the same amount of handballs and kicks and whatever. Three games in a row. That's insane. Is that just Inter's influence? I, I, I don't think inside that's insane. Let's be respectful. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's back. Yeah. Buddy's back, and that's good for football. That's what I would say. I love. 100%. There's nothing. Nothing more fun than seeing him wheel onto that big left foot and then just kicking it. It's so exciting. With his non non foot non athletic body, <laughs> that weird body we've discussed on this show, with somehow buddy, he's super fit. With his buddy belly, that'll be the new dad bod. Yeah. AFL fans yeah. will get the but, buddy belly. Bud bod, yeah, but the bud bod, <laughs> the bud bod. We get oh, a bud bod. I love your bud bod. Uh, up on uh, the Gold Coast, uh, uh, G, uh, the Suns defeated Carlton. Um, that's probably about the spanking we've been expecting for Carlton. Again, it was only 50 points, but, you know, they were pretty comprehensively outplayed in that. Then over, uh, in WA at the Derby, West Coast beat Frio to put Ross Lyon in some serious headache trouble. I mean, you talk about coaches who are sort of like, you know, playing a straight bat right now. He's not panicking. Ross has been in this situation before. He's sort of, he's taken, well, you know what he did? He took actual ownership of it, which I thought was really interesting to hear a coach say. He's like, maybe, you know, that we've got to change the tactics. Maybe I'm doing, I'm doing it wrong. He didn't sort of seek to blame or do a media blackout. He actually said, yeah, you know what? Fucked up. Well, he didn't say that, but the equivalent yeah, of. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think that what he really should have done is what he did last time, which is, uh, just before the crash, sell out and go to another team. Because that's... Yeah. Cash in your that's, chips. Like, why wouldn't you do it the same? It worked so well last time. Ruin a club, get them as close as you possibly can. <laughs> like, basically what Ross Lyon does is he buys a car and then he just keeps driving the car and he never services the car. He just believes in the car and he goes, this car can win this race. And then it almost does. And then the car can't work anymore. So he walks away and he gets in another brand new car and he starts driving that car. But now he's like, oh, we'll repair this car. We'll rebuild the car. I don't think it's in you, Rossi. I don't think Ross Lyon has it in him. Well, as in the patience or the know-how? The know-how. I reckon his version of the game, the one tactic he's had really for that entire time, the, the game has moved beyond. So I wonder if he is a guy, as a coach, he's someone who can look at a pre-existing team that's running around that has all their role players and stuff and going, okay, this is what you need to do to tweak this guy to get their maximum. But he's not a guy who can go, all right, what players do we need to bring into this team to make them better? Do you reckon that's what a kind of coach you might be? Yeah, I reckon Ross Lyon, if you have a team that is close enough, Ross Lyon could make that team better. But I'm not sure that Ross Lyon like, knows how to build a list and put a list together and, you know, blood people. Like, I mean, I look at Hawthorne, like that guy Sicily. And we'll get to this mm. game. But the guy, Sicily, who killed us, like in the first game of the year, he had a shocker. And Ross Lyon told him, we're not going to, uh, sorry, uh, Alistair Clarkson told him, we're not going to drop you. And then the next two games, he's been the match winner in basically both mm. of those games. That's what Alistair Clarkson can do that Ross Lyon can't do. Ross Lyon picks his best 22 and he plays them every week. And that's why he's got yeah. the best home and away record of any coach in the league. Because he plays hard in every game. But I don't think... I think you've got to be thinking about the future as well as the present at all times. And he, and I reckon but, he just thinks about the present. But just to play devil's advocate, when he was at St Kilda, he wasn't in charge of recruiting. I know he has like final say in recruitment, but he was playing young players. Like when Nick Revolt did his hamstring in 2000, he gave Reece Stanley, Reece Stanley played that key position role. 
the big knock was David Armitage was never in the side. You know, David Armitage is one of our best inside midfielders now and a top 10 draft pick, and he was kept out. But, you know, he had Luke Ball there for at least, you know, the first three seasons he was there, and then I don't know who went inside after that. But I don't know that Ross Lyon... I think it's a bit of a myth that he doesn't blood young players. I think that he prefers mature bodies over young players. But when need be, he'll bring a young player in. What? Now that does just, that sound that totally dirty? Sounded like an internet search he would not be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> young bodies. I like old bodies over yeah. young men. He's more into bears than twinks. That's the one thing <laughs> yeah. you know about Rossler. Uh, next game was a thriller. Oh, North Melbourne I, versus Melbourne. Oh, sorry. Yeah. One thing. I, I thought just out of the Gold Coast Carlton match, because, you know, we should mention something, is that I think that uh, Weedering from Carlton looks like he's going to be an absolute superstar. And uh, mm. Aaron Hall from the Gold Coast yeah. is the same. His name, like the, his na- so, so we get his name right this week. <laughs> he was the guy whose name I couldn't remember in round two. Probably going to win yeah. at Brownlow and I couldn't remember his fucking name. <laughs> well, that's how much he's even rocketed up our expectations. We didn't even know, we didn't even know who he was last week and this week he's getting a special shout out. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the North Melbourne, uh, Melbourne game. Fucking fantastic to watch if you're not a Melbourne supporter. That was just, ooh. wow. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it reminded you of how great it is. Well, but to explain, like, the great thing about it was, cause I was sitting watching it here in the apartment and, um, you know, North Melbourne in that first quarter, like, we knew there was a breeze, but we didn't really know, like how much the breeze would affect the game because we play play in perfect conditions these days. So no one knows how much a breeze actually affects it. And so it's quite a mm. wind, it turns out. But North Melbourne, all those things that every week when I say to you, I don't believe in North Melbourne, I believed in North Melbourne. I was watching them going, oh, I, yeah. I get it now. They've got four tall forwards. They run really quick. They've got a solid defense. Yeah, of course North Melbourne could win it. North Melbourne are yeah. great. And then I watched that second quarter, and I went, "Yeah, that's what I thought about North Melbourne." <laughs> and then I was really, I was really proud of Melbourne because after the week they'd had the week before, and then like six to still have the quality in that second quarter to get in front, I thought it was it was good to watch. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing game, but it's just like a t- how many knocks can a team take? Like how many kicks to the guts? Like. Melbourne can have an inspirational... I, I, when was the last kind of positive season that Melbourne had? Like, I know they've had more wins last year than they had the year before, but it wasn't a positive season. Like, they just need... Like, St Kilda last year hung their hat on beating the Bulldogs when they were 54 points down, even though we only won six games of the year. We were able to point to that one game and say, see, we were able to mix it with a finalist. Not only mix it, but fucking, like, do something extraordinary. Melbourne don't have those games very often, you know? And I think that... Something like that, if they had won, would have been so awesome for them. But it's just, I don't know. Can a, can a whole team have low self-esteem? Hey, Charlie, I think you're forgetting only a couple of weeks ago when Melbourne had one of their highlights of recent history when they won one in a row. And it was so, ex- <laughs> it was so exciting for them that they got cocky for the next week and they didn't win. Don't you remember? No, I remember. I great, remember. Mel- great Melbourne memories. <laughs> but they were great. But they could have won. They should have won in the end, I yeah. would have thought. But they didn't quite get there. And Boomer, Boomer kicked six. Oh, yeah, just a lazy six at the age of 57. Uh, <laughs> he could play 500 games. Like, I'm not even someone, kidding. 
Someone said the other night on AFL 360, he may be the first person to play with his son. Yeah. How old's his kid? Uh, old enough that if Boomer plays for about another three years, they may play on the same team. So That's fucking insane. Yeah, and plus Boomer, notoriously tight with money, so he'd be happy to play all the way until he can get his pension. <laughs> Mate, of course he's tight with money. When your pants are that small, it's very hard to get your wallet out. <laughs> you put a human-sized wallet in his tiny little pants, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a very snug fit. Uh, at Simmons Stadium, Geelong smashed uh, the Lions. Um, I guess the one notable thing out of that game was um, <laughs> Mitch Robinson's fucking fanatical attack on the man. Like, that was old-school football there. Like, God bless him, Mitch Robinson. I don't mind him. I could understand why, you know, people don't, don't like him. But for a human battering ram, <laughs> for a battering ram with eyes, he, he's all right. Like, you know, I think he, he, he has some integrity with what he does. Uh, would you say his to you, Mitchell Robinson? <laughs> yeah. Selwood hates you more than you will know. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, there was a couple of incidents. For anyone who didn't see it, Mitch Robinson just played a, a very kind of physical game on Joel Selwood, where basically, not not overstepping the rules, but getting right on the edge where he was just laying blocks and just flattening Selwood every chance he got. To the point where... Like Selwood at one stage was on the ground, flat on his ass, and it happened for like the seventh time. And he just looked at the umpire and said, are you going to do something about this? He keeps fucking knocking me over. But they shook hands at the end of the game. I was quite surprised to see that. I think maybe Joel Selwood's like, ah, oh, man, like, it's Mitch Robinson. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Mish and Andy, don't get worried about you and I doing a podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Shit no, rolls I downhill. He's like, yeah, it's fine. At the end of the day, he goes off and he goes, yeah, I'm Joel Selwood. He's Mitch Robinson. Yeah, I'm everything's still, fine. Like, everything's fine. <laughs> uh, now, the last two games of the round, we'll, uh, we'll talk about the Saints first because we, uh, we went to that game. Uh, really good game. Like, very oh, enjoyable. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was, it was uh, we had good seats and uh, we're sitting with quite a few um, Magpie supporters, which... I loved. In fact, um, I sat next to a, a, a young guy who I could tell within the first five minutes um, was very antsy, Collingwood supporter. And I'm like, oh, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to have fun with this guy. I'm going to yell out some stuff just to really get his blood boiling. Then the girl sitting next to him leaned over and said, hello, Charlie. My name's Deb. Um, I got these tickets for you. And I was like, oh, hi. And she said, and this is my brother. And I was like, okay, <laughs> just put a cork in it. Glad I didn't start off with a chant. Because as you know, Will, I like to get the vocal at the football. Oh, man, I, I kind of had forgotten because it's been a while since we've been to a Saints winning something together. But when they are, <laughs> but when they're up and running, you do get very, very vocal. And I, I mentioned this on junk time, but I love how you answer other people's heckles. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it just bugs me when someone calls out something stupid. I feel like it's my duty to correct them in a public forum. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you're going to hand out fact sheets. Like you're a yeah. very stickler for explaining why they're wrong with their booing. It's funny, actually. Like, I don't go to a game intending to get very vocal, but I actually, I was saying to Nick, uh, my uh, my mate who was there at the time as a Saint supporter, like we both get very kind of like emotional in it. And I could feel it starting to happen because the scores were sort of tied pretty much for the first two quarters. And then we broke away in that third quarter. And I was saying to Nick, I feel like I've got white line fever. Like just the kind of like, just the energy of the game. I just can't help but yell and get involved. It's really weird. It, it feels very, um, uh, uh, what's that word? 
you know how your brain has kind of like the different uh, stages of development and there is a kind of um, Cro-Magnon part of our brain, just the very base instincts like sleep, fuck, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've got one that's yell at football. <laughs> like I don't actually have any conscious control over it. I just get there. My team gets right. the ball and I just start going, Rah! It's a primal instinct. Yes, primal yeah. instinct. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that is what you have though. Oh, it was quite exciting though because... Uh, Peter Moore, uh, twice Brownlow medalist Peter Moore, was sitting behind us because his son Darcy plays um, for Collingwood. And then I had uh, breakfast with Brad Hardy this morning. So in one oh, week, yeah. I've managed to talk to two Brownlow medalists. That's a pretty good week. Don't yeah, normally have you, a double you, Brownlow week. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, the great thing about the game uh, from a Saints point of view was that running game that we had up and running against Port and then sort of tried to get going against Bulldogs actually worked. It relies heavily on getting the ball to people who can actually kick it, which is only about uh, you know 20% of our team at the moment. But when you get that game going, you just, on the fast break, like you can just get, you know, you, you can get the ball down there so quickly. I think, look, it was a great win. I feel like Collingwood weren't 100% there. Like they kind of dropped their load after half time. I mean, Travis Cloak, what is going on there? I mean, we don't have a tall fullback. Like Sam Fisher was playing him. Sam Fisher's not like that big gorilla wrestling fullback. He's just, he's more like a, a flanker, if anything. But I don't know, man. It, it, does, does he look disinterested to you? Um, I reckon it's all does over. Does he always Clark. look disinterested to you? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it's over. I reckon it's over for Travis Clark. For Trav? Yeah. Just, hmm. I, I, uh, that's a terrible thing to say. But I have nothing against Travis Clark. But I just feel like his game. I don't think he was ever... Like, he was a great contested mark. He was never a great goal kicker. He was always a confidence player. He had that mm. year where he had a shitty year and everyone was like, it's his contract negotiations. But then he stayed. And so then you've just had a shitty year and then got paid heaps more money. And then since then, he hasn't really been able to replicate that form. Now, they're only mm. kicking it to him five times or whatever it is now. So, yeah. But Did you, did you see in the, um, the Gold Coast Blues game, Levi Casbolt, took a fucking sensational mark, top of the goal square, slight angle, and the commentators were like, well, this is, well, Matthew Richardson specifically was saying, this is a huge kick for him, get it through, get your confidence up, sure enough, fucking, I mean, the way he kicks the ball, the direction the ball moves off his foot, I think defies physics. I'm pretty sure that, like, just scientists around the world are scratching their heads, going, how can it possibly move in that direction with that drop? Yeah, it's the Casbolt uh, theory. <laughs> it's a new way of measuring space time yeah and it's like the the ability to predict what direction a ball dropped in the exact same way as anybody else drops a ball will go off levi casbolt's boot yeah it's the it's the chaos theory from jurassic park but in football right. it's the casbolt theory this could go anywhere anywhere a butterfly uh, flaps but its wings the last game of the round uh, uh, was, of course, Bulldogs versus Hawthorne, which I think because we've done the Bob Murphy stuff, let's just talk about the game in isolation to that moment because if Bob hadn't done his knee, chances are he could have at least made a contest in that last couple of minutes. Who knows what would have happened? If the Bulldogs had won that game, how would you feel? <laughs> so different to how I feel right now. <laughs> like, it's amazing what a difference it can make in my life. Like, yeah. It's, um, well, no, here's the thing. If Bob hadn't done his knee, 
I think we just would have been wrapped even if we'd lost because we gave him a head start for a quarter and a half and then we like did t- 10 goals to 12. Our game works against their game. We didn't hit our mm. targets. They hit their targets more. But in a sense, it would have given everybody the belief, okay, we have a game that we can take to these guys and it could beat mm. them if we get it all right on the day. Yeah. Gave me, gave me a lot of confidence, to be honest. And it, it's only the Bob thing that takes any of that away. Like, I thought the rest of it was just one of the best guys. It was just a, cause we didn't see the first quarter and a half cause we were on junk time and I was checking the scores mm. and obviously, you know, we were getting murdered. And then I got back here to the apartment and got to watch that entire comeback and it was just, it was some of the best Bulldogs football I've ever seen in my life. You know, as we started mm. mowing them down and making them look slow and making them look a bit hopeless for a bit. It was, it was very exciting. And the thing about it is it's all about um, getting your pressure game working. And for the Bulldogs now knowing that they can play that pressure game against the best side in the league. I think we said uh, last week or one of the early podcasts, it doesn't matter if you know they lose to Hawthorne because whatever, if, as long as they mix it, as long as they don't get blown away, they come out of right. it feeling like, okay, we know where we're at. We know what we have to work on. If to be the best, this is what we've got to do. And, you know, if that, you know, freak incident hadn't occurred, they might have won. So they basically, if they could just get their start together, not start so slow, who knows what could have happened. So basically what you're saying is if quantum theory is true, uh, the Casbolt theory, uh, there is a yeah. universe, there is a universe somewhere where Bob Murphy, uh, did not do his knee and I'm yeah. having the, and he he sport that mark, and I'm having the best yeah. week of my life. And I probably got nominated yeah. for the Barry at the comedy festival, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I didn't get this cold. Fuck, I hate that guy. Who's that guy? <laughs> but if this is some reverse universe, then that means the Saints lost. So fuck you. <laughs> um, okay, so should we do the preview of uh, uh, of this week? So there's a game yep. tonight, um, which I'm worried. Because it's West Coast versus Richmond at the main stadium. This could get ugly. I think that West Coast have, there's been enough kind of knocks of them in the press that yeah. they need to destroy someone. And I think Richmond are primed for a slaughter. I agree with you. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. West Coast are, are back. Um, I saw Matty Prittis being interviewed on AFL 360 this week. They should give him a hair test. Just to see what is in that hair. Because that, yeah. like, th- there is nothing Western else. Western Australian bloody hair. Oh, mate. And the best thing is, they're doing this thing on AFL 360 in the AFL with these, they have these kind of, like, miniature dolls of the players. They're like bobbleheads, but not bobbleheads. But yeah. what they've done with his hair, he looks like, it looks like South Park have made a Matthew Prittis doll. And like it, it all it says is Matthew Brutus. Like that's what, <laughs> that's what it looks like. It's got this hair helmet. Like it's the Brisbane Lions like logo or like the Paddle Pop Lion or whatever. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the best. But yeah, no, West Coast by heaps. Is there any part of you that thinks that maybe Richmond can win it's this? It's rich. It's Richmond, Charlie. Anything yeah. can happen. Yep. Anything, Anything can happen. Can yeah, happen. that's right. That's right. The Casbolt theory could be in full effect. Uh, tomorrow, Essendon take on Geelong at the MCG. Now, speaking of bobbleheads, will they make a Joe Danaher bobblehead doll? <laughs> <laughs> what would that look like? Well, it actually would. It could, it'll the be, head could it'll bubble. Be, 
No, it'll be in proportion. Because you know how bobbleheads, normally they exaggerate the size of their head. <laughs> so, so once they exaggerate Joe's head, it'll just be a normal in proportion doll. People are like, that doesn't work. That's not comical. So uh, we expect Geelong to win this. I guess Geelong, uh, easy, easy. Easy. The story, the story in this game is James Kelly, Matthew Stokes, and who else is playing for the Bombers? This game is one other guy playing against their old teammates. Um, another Geelong guy? Yeah, I think it's Matthew Stokes, James Kelly, and someone else. I can't remember. Okay, Chappie's not coming back. He retired. <laughs> yeah, it's probably Aaron Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're giving them Dangerfield at half time, like junior footy, just to make yeah. it sporting. I mean, yeah, I kind of feel like this, this. I don't know. I feel like it's a ten goal victory to the Cats. That's what they should do. At half time, if if Geelong are up by like ten goals, for example, they give yeah. Essendon Dangerfield for the second half and Dangerfield becomes the first player in AFL history who gets the three votes and the two votes for different teams. Yeah, hundred yeah, that that they should that they should change the rules just to make that happen. Right. <laughs> uh down at Aurora Stadium, uh Hawthorne take on the Mighty Saints. This, uh, I don't know, I will, I'll save my mantra for this year when we're talking about a top four team. Within six goals, <laughs> I'll be happy. I Look, I think we could even maybe push them for a half, maybe three quarters, but I just think in the end, Hawthorne down there are nearly unbeatable. Uh, yeah, I'd like to imagine a universe where I'm like, you know what, the Saints, the Saints are going okay. And Hawthorne had a big match last weekend. Like, it was pretty close. It was probably a bit physical and all those sort of things in the end. You know, maybe this is the one where they could take their eye off the ball and, and you know, not get it done. And if St Kilda were on their game on the day, they could beat them down there. Uh, but that is not the universe we live in, Charlie. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'd love to be the half-forward flanker lining up on Luke Hodge, his first game back, uh, with that wrist guard on. <laughs> You'd just be yeah. like, Hodgy, just take it easy today. Go go out in one of those sumo suits. I advise the dude who's playing on Hodgy. Um, the interesting thing about this game for me, there's been a bit of talk on the St Kilda uh, uh, chat, board, chat rooms about St Kilda were originally uh, the first team in Tasmania had the custodian of uh, Aurora Stadium. And this was back in the yeah. Grant Thomas days. We just could never win there. That was back when the knock in St Kilda is we could only play in perfect conditions. We were a total Eddie had team. Um, but it's crazy because St Kilda has a lot of ties to Tasmania. We have like Ian Stewart, Daryl Baldock, like all of them, uh, Nick Revolt, all born in Tasmania. And for a time, you know, we could have got that membership injection that Hawthorne ended up getting, but some short-sightedness along the way has now seen us trying to pick up games in New Zealand, which I didn't realise until today, the games we play in New Zealand, we earn infinitely more playing those games than we do at Etihad. Right. That's why you're playing them. So... Yeah. Like, so let's start playing more games in Asia. You know, let's go. I want a game in Bali. Let's do it. It's close enough. I mean, West Coast would love that. They're only three hours from Bali. They should definitely have a game in Bali. Okay. The uh, next game is uh, on Saturday afternoon is Brisbane Lions taking on Gold Coast. The Derby. <laughs> the showdown. The one Cross down no one rivals. Cares. The one no one cares about. Yeah. Um, um, Gold Coast, easy. But you know what? It is a Bris- Battle of Brisbane or Battle of, like, I guess, Queensland. The Q Clash. The Gabba. Yeah. It's the Q Clash, I think you'll find. And uh, yeah. 
That sounds even terrible, doesn't it? The Q clash. It does sound, does sound terrible. But Gold Coast, if anything, everything goes according to plan, they're going to be four and zip, which is a pretty good start. I mean, it's been a soft start, but still. Yeah, good team. Uh, Saturday night, Carlton take on a team you may have heard of, the Western Bulldogs. Yeah. Now, what are your hopes for this game? Do you guys need to prove anything? Well, we need to win. Like, I mean, obviously. Well, you will. We're still in the same universe, but the Saints will get thrashed by the Hawks, so you will. We need to prove that, you know, that Rob, Rob's, what happened to Rob hasn't robbed us of our kind of organization and speed. That's what I think that we need to do. Um, I, I feel a bit sorry for Carlton because it would not surprise me if they come out and take all the anger and sadness and depression of the week out on fucking Carlton. It would not surprise me if that happens. I feel like... Who goes to Casbolt theory? I mean, I think what we do is we just get him the... We get Casbolt the ball and uh, (laughs) then we just like form in a circle. (laughs) It's the the new zone. It's the Casbolt zone. So basically every time Levi gets it, you just form a perfect circle around him in every direction. (laughs) No, no, I don't think you need to do that. I think you just form players in a semicircle on the opposite side to the way he's facing. <laughs> Whatever direction he is not kicking in, that's where the ball will go. Now, this looks like an interesting setup from Beveridge and his team. Uh, <laughs> they're forming in a circle behind where Levi Casbold is facing. Uh, yeah, it, uh, I think you guys... I don't need, know you need to make a statement, I think, uh, but a six-goal victory would be expected, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon us by a lot. And I reckon okay. string and I reckon Stringer might uh, goes berserk. Might kick a bag. Okay. Uh, over in Adelaide, the Mighty Crows are taking on Sydney, which could be match of the round. Yeah, I yeah. think that will be match of the round. Adelaide taking on Sydney. Uh, yeah, that'll be a really good game. Hard be interesting to, to see. Yeah. How much have you loved the Eddie Betts show this year? Like he's just getting ridiculous. Like now, I don't even. I think he's playing his own game that has nothing to do with the other thirty-five players on the field. It's just give me the ball and watch me do something amazing with it. Well, I think some of the new rules are suiting teams better than other teams, but there are also individuals who have benefited from these new zones and laws and ways of playing football because it cre- Eddie Betts' favorite thing is getting that ball over the back, running towards the goal and creating something. He's so good at it. And yeah. the way the game is being played now, that turnover goal opportunity like happens more than ever. It's just mm. the time suit Eddie Betts. Yeah. Also, the the new rule about the delivery. It was it a- was the bets of times. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. Sorry, I'm stopped here for that terrible pun. <laughs> I was just going to say that uh, the new uh, rule with uh, the new deliberate rule suits Eddie Betts because he's a pressure player. He's the kind of guy that when you're a defender. The right. boundary line was your friend because he's so quick and he's so clever and stuff. You're like, okay, well, if I just sort of run this over. But now you have to keep it in. That's like an added pressure. Oh, that's Gemma in the background. Hi. <laughs> Hi, bye. Hello. Little cameo for my wife. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's that pressure player. And um, it just means that you see those players panic now more. But there's also his skills. Like, he's, be- he's become... He... I trust him to kick it from the boundary line on his wrong side more than, you know, directly in front. He's got that kind of Stephen Milne thing where he almost prefer, or uh, Stevie Johnson where he prefers to kick it on an angle, but he's just so good at it. It's insane. I mean, he's really got the bets out of himself. 
<laughs> Sorry, I had a second go. And uh, unlike unlike Brent Harvey, he's very generous with his money because he's got those big shorts. His wallet comes in and out very easily. <laughs> okay, on Sunday, uh, GWS. Oh shit! Hang on, my screen's just locked. GWS take on Port Adelaide in the game that no one cares about. Oh no! I reckon that's that's like two up and coming teams deciding where they're at. They'll be both teams that are you know kind of final eight ish teams, eight to ten, I reckon. So, you know, might be important later in the year, Charlie. But do you, I mean, who's going to watch that? Like, what would their ratings be? Who's tuning in to see Port take on GWS? What, what time the, is I mean, Chad Wingard isn't even playing, I don't think. Oh, mate, it's the battle of the working class suburbs. It's GWS versus uh, Port Adelaide. That's Yeah, GWS, working class. One of the most propped up fucking full of millionaire sides in the competition. I mean... The suburbs I'm talking about, not the... <laughs> They're hard. Uh, 320, Collingwood take on Melbourne at the MCG. Now, this is the game that Melbourne has to win, right? Right, yep. But, but this is the kind of game that Collingwood always wins. Like, this is what Collingwood did. Richmond were meant to beat them, and they won. This is the... I get the feeling that Collingwood will win this game. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, here's the thing. Melbourne might have taken a lot of confidence from that loss last week, and we know what Melbourne are like after a week of confidence. <laughs> like, there might be that, you know, after-confidence slump, they might get ahead of themselves from that one-kick loss. Um, <laughs> Melbourne, if Melbourne are going anywhere, they have to win this game of football. But I, I am like you... I do not share much confidence to say that they will, but they should. So I'm going to give you a little bit of face, Melbourne. Win this game and don't prove me wrong. Yeah. And then the last game of the round uh, will be interesting again. It's North Melbourne taking on Frio. This, I think this will really, for both teams, will let us know where they're both at. Right. Because I think what's likely to happen is North Melbourne's going to flex their muscles and say, we're still a top four team. We're going to beat up on this team we should beat. Or... Frio is going to actually find some fight. They're going to get a bit Ross Lyon on it. They're going to shut the game down. They're going to. I think if Frio keep it close, they only lose by like a goal or two. Then it still leaves question marks on both sides. But I think what's most likely to happen is that North will open them up. I think Fremantle's style suits playing North Melbourne, and I have no evidence to back that up other than a hunch. <laughs> but <laughs> well, hang on, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> mate. We have based an entire podcast. On no expertise. Everything we talk about is hunches. I just okay. said... What I would say is, by even our normal low expectations for expertise, this is... I may be saying something that if you looked up any statistics, you would find the complete opposite. <laughs> but I don't know what their record is against them. I have no information other than... I reckon Ross Lyons' teams get exposed by those hard-running, fast-running, overlapping teams. And North have a bit more of that taller forward line, a little bit more of a traditional structure. And I, I wonder if the Fremantle way of playing still might, you know, give them a little bit of trouble because they lock it down a bit more. They make it a little bit more complicated getting it into the forward line. They don't have that quick overlap style quite in the way that other teams do. Yeah, I mean, North seemed pretty quick against the Demons. I mean, that was goal for goal. It wasn't like 30 goals or something by the end of that game. Oh, mate, it was easy to look quick in that wind. All you needed to do is jump up a bit and it blew you forward. Like, <laughs> everyone looked quick. And then people looked like mimes going in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's like true. It, 
I mean, I did love the win, though. They should just put some wind into Eddie had one quarter randomly per round. You just put yeah, a yeah. breeze in. A half a quarter each way. When you were, um, when you were playing, uh, did you prefer to start with the breeze or save it for the last quarter? I'll start with the breeze because the breeze might go away. Ah, uh, yes. Good thinking. That's why I lost so many games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went the Trent Cotchen in the finals option where he went against the breeze and they lost that, uh, final. So when was that? I don't remember that. To Port two years ago. Remember when they went over to Adelaide no. when they'd, they'd been on that streak where they'd won 11 in a row or whatever. And then Cotchen went over and he won the toss and they kicked against the breeze and then oh, they right. lost by a hundred points. Yeah. Yeah, that nerd. was Trent Cotchen's fault. <laughs> yeah, you nerd. Uh, well, that can that yeah, that's uh, I guess that, that that that's us done for this week. Uh, sorry again um, about the late upload, but uh, Will has been doing back to back to back to back to back to shows at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. You're like Hawthorne yes. with premierships, back to back to back to back to back. Oh, uh, except I guess except that yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm so tired. I'm sorry if this one... We, we've been on Skype today and it's been in, a little in and out, so I hope it's all come together and it's sounding okay. Uh, but thank you very much for, for listening. And yes, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, we'll get them up a little bit more early and, uh, and you know, yeah. I won't be so tired. <laughs> well, the good thing about this show is because we have no structure, it means we can adapt it to be whatever we want. So it can either be a recap of the previous round or a preview of the upcoming round. So uh, well, that's- when we get it up. We'll tailor it that way. That's what this podcast offers that I believe Ross Lyon coach teams don't, Charlie. We have an adaptability to different circumstances. You know, here's the thing, Charlie. We've got to be good inside the phone box, but also (laughs) inside the TARDIS. Uh, I'm Will Anderson. I'm Charlie Clawson. We are two guys, one car.